You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Evans, Georgia, with a mission to love God, love people, and reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at InFocus Church. We hope this message encourages you and leaves you feeling challenged to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Just felt impressed this morning as we were singing that song just now and that if you're like me and I can confess that there are those times where just out of nowhere fear begins to grip you about your future and what God's going to do or what he might not be able to do in your mind and sometimes we're crippled by that fear and I just want to say that as we're singing as we're worshiping God as our provider Jehovah Jireh which is what that means is that in spirit and in truth we will begin to affirm to God Lord where I've been afraid where I have been fearful where I have walked in doubt and fear God I just claim and believe that your word is true that my eyes are fixed on you Jesus So I want to say that to encourage you, church, today, that there is nothing to be afraid of, particularly as it relates to, even in this case, maybe provision in whatever area you need provision in. Oftentimes we go straight to money and finances, and that's part of it. But maybe that's where you have been gripped with fear, and you've not been obedient to what God has called you to do. Well, today I am praying that you are set free from that, and that you trust God wholeheartedly with every part of your life. Social media, movies, music, sports, all of them are a massive part of the culture that we live in. And in case you hadn't noticed, our common spaces have been decorated brilliantly by some of our amazing volunteers to represent these four cultural influences that affect all of our lives. We've been adding a different one, staging it, if you will, each week. And today, uh, we added the sports vignette, if you will. They all have a lot in common as each of them entertain, entertain us, each of them affect us, each of them influence us, and each of them cost us. How much they cost us, both figuratively and literally, depends on how much we buy into them. Again, both figuratively and literally. Although the costs go way beyond money, and they do, we're going to talk about the monetary side just a little bit. Let's just say for the state of speaking the obvious that these four major areas of our culture and the way they influence have a lot of money involved in them. Just, we're just going to state the obvious. If how much we value something is proven by how highly we spend our money on it, then all of these things are valuable to us. Statistics prove how highly we value all these diversions that our culture has to offer us. And since we believe that culture is something we are born into and we're surrounded by it every single day, There has to be a way for us as believers, as Christians, to interact and engage with the culture around us and see it transformed for the glory of God. That is the entirety, if you will, of the message behind this series, The Church and Culture. 
We know Jesus has commissioned us and sent us into the world to make disciples. We're not of this world, but we're sent into this world, and we're sent into it to see it transformed for the glory of God. That's our purpose. So back to our cultural surroundings. Since we're fully into football season, both professional and college and high school and and baseball playoff race is ongoing, let's talk about the money that gets spent on sports in our culture alone. And I'm not talking about just in America, I'm I'm talking about globally, worldwide. But before I give you some of these mind-boggling statistics, let's just start with Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6, which is where our text will be mainly from, verse 21, and Jesus said this, where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. So let's see if these statistics say anything about what we treasure in our culture. The estimated size of the sports industry worldwide is $1.3 trillion. I said trillion with a T. The United States has $520 billion of that money alone. The golf industry reached a $7 billion industry value this year. Just golf, $7 billion. Soccer makes up $600 billion, or 43% of the global sports industry. American football value is at $200 billion, with a B. The NFL generated $11,394 million in revenue last year, the most among any league of any sport. The global market value of the NBA is $60 billion. LeBron James alone made $85.5 million this past year, $33 million of it on his salary and $52 million of it in endorsements. You might say, well, what does that have to do with me? I ain't got that kind of money. Well, we are the ones that are paying all of that. One cable bill, streaming bill, and merchandise jersey purchase at a time. And you know what else we contribute? Gambling. Gambling industry is one of the fastest growing industries that we invest, and I use that word loosely, our money in. Commercial sports betting revenue went up 70% over the last year, and it's at a new all-time high of $7.5 billion in 2022. Not even to mention going to a sporting event that we all probably have done at some point in time, the travel, the tickets, the food. Now, everybody that knows me knows I'm not about to cancel sports culture because I'm about as big a sports fan as there is. But our monetary investments into sports highlight some of our misplaced values when it comes to our money, as well as our lack of concern for the kingdom of God. What we have been saying this whole series is that when it comes to culture, we have a love-hate relationship with it. We either love it too much, gluttonously consume it, and allow it to replace God as the king of our hearts, or we hate it and try to war against it in some sort of religious, legalistic manner that is not beneficial to anybody for the glory of God. So my hope is that we would continue to learn from God's word exactly how to interact and engage with culture around us in such a way as that we become culture creators and that we change culture, not cancel it or curse it. 
One of the most obvious ways to do this, transform culture that is, is by being light in the darkness because that is obvious. And one of the ways that we do that is by handling the things that God gives us in a way that is different than the way the world might handle it. So get this. When we handle our money in a way that honors God and advances his kingdom, it's obvious. That is the topic that we're going to look at today as it relates to how we affect and transform culture. We're going to cover the issue of our money, which is not inherently evil, by the way. As one author said, money is a terrible master, but it can be a masterful servant. Scripture doesn't demand that we renounce our resources, but instead that we would use them for the glory of God. We don't serve money. Money serves us. This is how we transform culture, because the culture works the other way around. We serve money. That is what we are a slave to, if you will. And when it comes to how we use our money, God's word has a lot to say about it. Jesus had a lot to say about it. So we've got a lot of help. We can't claim that we don't have some help and some wisdom when it comes to this. And if we want to know how Jesus interacted with culture, all we, or we want to know how God wants us to interact with culture, all we have to do is look at Jesus, who's God in the flesh. And Jesus had a lot to say when it came to the subject of money. He wasn't intimidated to talk about it. Although many times we feel intimidated to talk about it. Or maybe you're sitting there, oh, this is the Sunday I decided to come to church. Yes, it is. And it's God's design for you. Because it wasn't that Jesus was just talking about money. He was talking about the hearts of the people. He was always talking and tying it to the kingdom of God and valuing the eternal kingdom of God over the temporal kingdoms of this world. So let's go back to the verse I read a moment ago in context, if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. And it says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is... There your heart will be also. So let's say it this way, and I want us to grapple with this today. Because there's nothing like talking about something that we don't like to talk about to show what is an idol in our life. We invest money in what we value the most. That's what we're going to grapple with. We invest money in what we value the most. So what are you investing your money in? What does your bank account say about what you value the most? Food, clothing, entertainment, sports, none bad, some necessary for living, but none make a good God. What about the church? How much do you value God's church? How much do you value your church? And we can't say, well, I give my time. I, I, I repost the church's Instagram account. That's what I do. Well, that's all well and good. But verse 21 says where your treasure is, not your Instagram reposts are. That denotes, watch now, that denotes something we value above anything else. When it comes to the culture we live in, and I was making this point with sports a moment ago, we can tell what we value the most by what we spend our money on the most. 
But it goes even deeper than that. We can tell what we trust in the most. We can tell what we don't trust in or who we don't trust in the most by what we spend our money on or what we hold on to the most tightly. Culture tells us to make all you can and spend all you can. Prudent culture might tell you to make all you can and save all you can. Jesus and his kingdom, this is what Jesus says, give more than you can. Give more than you can. And in this verse he says, don't store up treasures down here, store them up in heaven. And what does this mean? What does this have to do with me? How do we do this? In modern terms, I feel like Jesus is giving us a little seminar on ROI, return on investment. What you invest in the culture has minimal return on investment, if any at all, since it has no leverage in the kingdom of God. However, what you invest in the kingdom of God has an internal return on investment. When we hold on to our money and we refuse to practice biblical generosity by giving to God through his church and the other ways that he's given us, we may be increasing our earthly portfolio, but we are spiritually bankrupting ourselves. Here's an axiom that I've used for years every time that I teach on this subject. What you keep is all you have. What you give, God can multiply what you keep that's fine that's all you have what you give God can multiply it's counterintuitive but it is the upside down reality of the kingdom of God the culturally transformative answer to greed to fear which I was talking about just a moment ago which I experienced myself at times materialism or even saving enough to where we feel like we don't even need God anymore the antidote to that the spiritually transformative way to change culture is to be biblically generous we must have an open-handedness about our lives instead of being tight-fisted. And tight-fisted says that I don't trust God, especially when it comes to my money. Open-handedness with our money is one of the ultimate acts of deciding that we trust and declaring that we trust in God. Here, God, this is yours anyway. Open-handedness with God is an act of worship. Giving open-handedly is an act of worship, and that's why each and every week we tie this into worship here, whether it's Pastor Keevan or Pastor Robert or anybody else that testifies of the goodness of God and instructs on giving, we're saying this is an act of worship. And the reason that we attach it to worship is because when we give what we have worked so hard to earn, we affirm that our trust is not in our own strength, but in the one who gave it to us in the first place. And, as I said a moment ago, we can keep it, but that's all that we'll have. Or we can generously give it, and God will multiply it now for his kingdom, and he will allow us to store up treasure in heaven that the scripture just says cannot be stolen, cannot be lost. The best investment has always been and will always be into the kingdom of God, which to paraphrase the late missionary Jim Elliott who laid down his life for the gospel means we give what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose. We give what we cannot keep, what we will not take with us, which will be left to somebody else that may not even have your last name to gain what no one 
take from us. Here's the second thing I would say. Remember that all of your money is God's, not just what you give to the Lord. Well, I'm giving to the Lord what's his and I'm keeping what's mine. Wrong. It all belongs to him. That means that we should think of every expenditure that we make in this life in a kingdom advancing way, not just what we give to the church, not just what we give away, because it all belongs to Jesus. He owns us. He paid for us with his blood. He owns the stuff that we have. Every single thing you spend and what you give is worship, and it should be done to magnify Jesus. We already stated we invest money in what we value the most, and I believe that one of the corresponding main points of this text this morning and why it's so important and why Jesus cares so much is that your heart moves towards what you cherish. You could say it the way the scripture, your heart moves towards what you treasure. That's what it's saying. Your heart moves towards that. And what does God want your heart to move towards? Him. Him. That's why we're open-handed with our money. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to move. That's where your heart's going to be. That's where your heart's going to take up residence. This is the reason we store up treasures in heaven that cannot be lost or stolen. If your treasure is in heaven where God is, then that's where your heart's going to be. Then my heart's right here. No, I'm talking about what you think about, how you approach life, what you do, what you're worried about, what you're not worried about. Your heart isn't focused on earthly things, as Philippians says, but it's, it's focused on heavenly things. And when we hear the word treasure, you know, oftentimes we read that verse, and I, if you're like, you think of like pirates and Jack Sparrow, and like, I don't have that. But I believe it means the object cherished. That's what it means. And the word heart the part of us that does the cherishing. So we can read this verse this way, where the object that you cherish is, is where the part of us that does the cherishing will be too. We'll say it again. Where the object that you cherish is, is where the part of us that does the cherishing will be too. If the object you cherish is God in heaven, then your heart's going to be with God in heaven. You will be with God. But the object, if that's the thing that you cherish, is money and the things on earth, then your heart is going to be on earth. You will be on earth, if you will, cut off from God. That's what Jesus meant in Luke 16 when he says, nobody can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money serve money, what does that mean? It means to cherish money and to pursue all the benefits that money can give. And it does give benefits. The heart then goes after money. But to serve God means to cherish God and to pursue all the benefits that God can give. And scripture tells us to not forget all the benefits that God can give. The heart then goes after God and that is worship. It's our hearts cherishing God and seeking him as the treasure above all other treasures. It doesn't mean that these things can't be utilized. It doesn't mean they can't be leveraged. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy them. It just means that God is cherished above all of them. And I often hear about people say, well, I'm just not in the habit of giving. Well, when Jesus transformed your heart, he came to transform your habits. And since spending money is a habit that needs to be transformed, needs to be submitted to God like anything and everything else, then we are called to do that. That's what lordship is all about. That's why Jesus is either Lord of my life, which includes everything, or he's not. 
Jesus being Lord of my life includes my monetary resources, my bank account. So back to verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's the question, where is your heart? Inevitably, we're gonna put our money not where our mouth is, we're gonna put our money where our heart is. Your spending will either reveal your desire for God and for his fame in the world, or it's gonna help you identify your idols in this world. If God makes you happy and he brings joy into your life, then your spending in love and ministry to God and to others is going to say that. If other things have stolen your heart and you tend to spend away valuable resources on temporary selfish pursuits and comforts, God's going to get the leftovers. If there's any leftovers left to give, then that's going to reveal your heart. Practically and honestly, here's what I believe. Our lack of generous giving is not a lack of ability. It's a lack of trust in the one who gives us the ability. It's not a lack, lack of ability. It's in our lack of trust in the one who gives us the ability. Here's the cool thing about God, and we've said this each and every week, whether it's about joy, whether it's about hospitality, whether it's about anything that we've spoken about, that God is the one who then by his grace empowers us to do what he's called us to do. He's not asked you to do something that you don't have the power to do with his help. And giving's no different. 2 Corinthians 9.11 says God will even supply the seed you need to plant in order to give. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I have found the more generous we are in giving, the more God gives us to give. Not to hold on to, but to give even more. And here's the second point about generosity. Our lack of generosity or of generous giving is not a lack of ability. It's a lack of obedience to the one who gives the ability. It's not a lack of ability. It's our lack of trust in the one who gives the ability. And it's our lack of obedience to the one who gives the ability. See, if God is able, and we believe that he is in every other area, then he is able by his grace to help us be generous Givers. If we're honest, many of us know what to do. It's not like I'm telling you something you don't know. You know what God asks of you. We know what God gives us. And we know that God gives us the grace and the wisdom to do it. We just simply choose not to. Do you know what that's called? It's called disobedience. And do you know what disobedience is called? Sin. <laughs> oh, he just said the S word. See, and here's the deal, along with many other sins that the Bible talks about that we don't openly accept in our lives or that seem to get more attention, like sexual immorality, murder, adultery, stealing, there's disobedience to God. And in this case, when we refuse to practice biblical generosity, it's no different. So why do we often live disobediently with our money and giving and act as if God is good with it? If we do not learn how to lay up treasures in heaven, which is what Matthew 6 says, it also says this again in Luke chapter 12, it's taught there too, we're inevitably settling for the treasures of earth. That's what we're settling for. And we miss out on something far more lasting, far more satisfying, or what the Bible says cannot be stolen. We go back to Matthew 6, Jesus is saying investing in heaven does not mean forfeiting present happiness. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not calling you to be ascetic. It means relocating and deepening your happiness now 
and in eternity. Here's the thing. Luke 12 says that when you're blessed, you don't store up. And it goes earlier in that passage, it says, don't store up and make more barns because you have more. It means give more. So like if I have more barns, then I don't need God. No, he's saying I'm giving you this so that you can be a conduit. This is the difference between our cultural economy and God's economy. In God's economy, wealth will involve sacrifice to be generous. And we sacrifice now because it's worth it in the long run of eternity. Why? Because we give what we cannot keep in order to gain what we cannot lose. And what you keep is all you have. And what you give, God will multiply. Oftentimes when we hear the word sacrifice, that's another bad S word to us. Oh, sacrifice. Means we're going to equate that with loss and sorrow. But the Apostle Paul actually in Acts 20, 35 says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I don't know if I actually believe that sometimes. Whoa, 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 whoa. It is way more blessed to get. When we lay up treasures in heaven, it's not just about the future. We're taking hold of a blessing now and in the future. See, the happiest people in the world are not those who spend and buy only for themselves. I mean, if anything, what culture has told us and what we've learned from popular culture and personal experience is knowing that just consuming doesn't satisfy It's like what we said each and every week. It's cotton candy. It tastes good for a moment, but then it just kind of evaporates in your mouth and you're still left hungry. That's what we do when we buy into consumerism and buying this and having enough so I don't need God. It just doesn't completely satisfy like God does. And the Bible tells us again and again, and maybe you know from experience, the happiest people are those who generously spend and give to God through his church and for the good of others. But be warned of this, when you choose biblical generosity, which is completely opposite of the culture of consumerism, excess, and even extreme hoarding and storing, which we even have TV shows about that, because it's a real problem. Those who choose the economy of God pursue his kind of wealth by storing their treasures in heaven through radical generosity And it can confuse those who are clinging desperately to what they have right now on earth. But here's what I believe it can do even more than that. It can transform them and the culture around us to where it leads them to a place of peace and freedom from being in bondage to money. That's how we transform culture. What does it mean to lay up treasures in heaven? It means to give all that we can on earth in obedience and in trust to God for the good of his kingdom and other people in the name of Jesus. It means to live as if what Jesus said is true. It's more blessed to give than receive. We cannot begin to lay up treasures in heaven if we're not ready to sacrifice our treasures on earth, particularly for those in need and those God has called us to give and also in the local church. Biblical generosity is so much more than Make sure you have what you need to cover your expenses and then see if you've got any left over to give away. No. Instead, Jesus says, lay up your treasures in heaven. Chase this treasure. Search for creative ways to obtain that treasure. Like the the man who sold everything to buy the field. Go after that treasure. Do whatever you can to have that. Not leftover generosity, but before anything else generosity. The kind that only makes sense 
Here's the the deal. It's the kind that only makes sense if Jesus really died, really rose, and will really reward those who give and sacrifice this way. Don't simply include heaven in your budget, but aim the entirety of your, your budget at heaven is what this verse is saying. There's a very intentional theology of generosity in the Bible in particular, but also in the Gospel of Luke. And here's the main point. Here's here's why I know this is such an issue for me and everybody else. Generosity is a sign of a renewed heart and soul. If Christ has saved us, and is transforming us and changed us and reorienting our passions and our purpose, then we're going to choose biblical generosity over the foolishness of earthly gain. We're going to be open-handed trusters instead of tight-fisted worriers. Truly knowing Christ and being a stingy person are irreconcilable differences. The gospel opens our heart and soul and renews them, and with it, our hands and God's money are transformed. You hear us talking about tithing and giving every Sunday. You get emails, and we're talking about what God's doing and how you can give to what God's doing in the kingdom. The one campaign, a big give Sunday, special offerings, giving to missions, giving to uh, different initiatives we might have throughout the year. But generosity is more than tithing, and generosity is more than giving 10%. A stingy person can give 10%. 10 is good, but that's not the point. The point is to be generous. It really is. It's just a starting place. Tithing can become legalistic and detached, and instead God wants us to give by grace, by faith, and to do so generously and joyfully, and might I add, consistently. The greater issue is that we always say it's not about equal giving, it's about equal sacrifice. And that's the issue. That's why I said a moment ago, when you hear the word sacrifice, we often think, oh no. And it's like, no, it's better to sacrifice, it's better to give. Are you giving sacrificially? That's another question to ask. Christians ought to give in such a way that there are things that we forego in order to be generous. We should be laying down our lives for the sake of the gospel. One of the effects of the gospel going deeper into our souls is that it loosens our grip on our money and money's grip on our hearts. Gospel goes in deeper and it begins because this is how we are. This is how I am. Not just you, me. Oh God, this is mine. I trust in this. I trust in this. What if I give this? What's going to happen next? And the gospel goes, no, you're going to trust God, not this. Okay, okay, okay. And that's what we look like. Okay, here it is, Lord. It's like that little meme I saw this week, like try to get a kid food out of a little toddler's hands, you know. It's like the strongest person in the universe. And that's how we are with our money. I want to encourage you this morning to be a generous church in focus. Start practicing here as you give to the church that God has placed you in to grow you and to equip you to be who God's called you to be. This is part of it. We don't grow by just hearing the word only, but by doing it. And guess what? You're not going to be alone in this because this is one thing that we all do the same in the church. There are a lot of things that are unique into our giftings, and she does that, and he does this, and she does that in the body, and he does this in the body. This is one thing that we all get to do together. And it's all the same, equal 
sacrifice. Let me close with something that I was thinking about because I, I want this to come from a heart of love. Because, man, when I walk around this church on Sunday, when I look at the lives that are changed by what God's doing through this place and the gospel, when I see the relationships that have been formed that really are all countercultural as well, when I see the ethnic diversity in this body and what God's doing in us as a diverse but unified church to also transform the culture, I am so grateful. And I want to invest in that because it's more valuable to me than anything else. And even as I think about my own finances, outside of my mortgage on my house over the years, there's nothing that I've given more money to in the kingdom of God. And I don't say that as like, it's just a reality of being obedient. If you're obedient, that's exactly what's going to happen. No matter how much, it's not about how much, but if you're obedient, this will be the thing that you invest in the most. And there's an interesting story about giving is found in Mark and Luke, I believe. The one in Mark, I think in chapter 12, verse 41 is the most interesting to me. And it's Jesus started teaching and then he sits down in the temple and he sits down in this area of the temple where it's just for women. It's like as far as the women could go into the temple at that time. It's where they would give. And there were these receptacles that were like trumpet shaped, 13 of them. And people would come and drop their money in. It would make noise, you know, and it's like the more noise it made, he's holy, she's holy. What if we gave that way today? Like, y'all be mortified. Nobody would go to church. But here's the interesting thing I, I think about that. It says in Mark 12, 41, that Jesus sat down and watched people give. What, what if I watched you give? You'd be like, man, that pastor, that's all he cares about. It, it says Jesus sat down and watched as the people gave. And this is the story where the woman comes and gives the, the two mites, like whatever it is, one sixty-fourth of a penny or whatever we say it is, right? Not much, all, but all that she had. And Jesus says, you know, she gave more than anybody that gave all this because they gave out of their excess and she gave out of her need. So you could be that person this morning and say, well, I don't even have that much. It still means that you have to trust God because somebody could give a lot, but it not be any sacrifice to them because they hold on to enough to be secure. It's all about sacrifice. And this story tells us, but what I want you to see is, is that Jesus is watching. And here's why he's watching. He's watching because he, he loves you. Not because he's trying to go, oh, I got, you didn't give. That ain't enough. Come back, a little bit more. Now that's how I might do it. But that's not how Jesus does it. He does it because he loves you. And he knows that if your heart is cherishing something else above him, then you're going to be drawn to that and you're not going to be drawn to him. So he stops us and he points something out like this. He's like, look, your heart is going to other things and I want you to cherish me above all those things because where your heart treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be also. I remember when my oldest son, Caleb, started driving to school for the first time. And he would drive his younger brother, Josiah, and they would both go together. And we lived like so close to, to Lakeside High School at the time that I could have picked him up and thrown him over to school. 
not quite, but close. So, but we lived on a road that where it turned out, it was like, eh, it's a little dangerous, particularly for a first time driver. So you know what I did? I don't know how many times, but for at least the first few times that he drove, I went out into the driveway and I watched. I watched him pull out into traffic and onto the road because I wanted to tell him he did something wrong. Oh, because I loved him. I wanted to make sure he was okay. And I wanted to make sure that if he didn't do it right, that when I saw him later that afternoon, I said, hey, look, you might want to look both ways before you turn left into traffic. Because I don't want you to get hurt. I love you too much. And, and that's the way Jesus, he sits down and he looks and it's like, it's not because he wants to condemn or scold you. He loves you too much for your heart to cherish anything more than him. And one of the ways that we prove that by how we give. So I want us to worship God with our giving today because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Where's your heart? That's the question to ask yourself. Is it with your loving Father in heaven or is it overwhelmed and encumbered with the stuff of this world? If giving to the Lord has been a problem for you, then confess it as unbelief, greed, selfishness, fear, whatever it is. Then tell God that you want to believe him for this area which has had such a stranglehold on your affections and what you cherish. You want to be free from bondage to money. Then decide what percentage you're going to faithfully give and do it and see how God will bless you because why? Because he loves you because what you keep is all you have, but what you give, God can multiply. Not so that I can buy something bigger and better. That is not the gospel that I'm preaching, but so that I can be even more generous for the benefit of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. First of all, I thank you for this church. God, that what we are able to give in this local expression, this church, is beneficial to the kingdom of God and what you're doing here in our community and what you're doing through us in the world. Lord, would you encourage us as a body to invest in this in such a way that shows our generosity to you and your kingdom. And for those of us who are here today and our hearts have been gripped with fear, maybe you're like me and you have these moments where you're just not even sure if you're still a Christian because you're so afraid about things. Well, I want you to know that that's the enemy lying to you and trying to steal the joy of the Lord from you. And I am praying today that, that all of us can put our hope and our trust in God completely. And when it comes to our finances, whether we have a lot or a little, that the equal sacrifice will be something that we do together as the body for the benefit of our own hearts and also for the growth of the kingdom of God. Lord, would you use us today to be those that generously sacrifice on behalf of your kingdom? Thank you for listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Evans, Georgia, with a mission to love God, love people, and reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at InFocusChurch. Church.